We have Mark Yusko and Brian Estes. Every time I talk to these gentlemen, I literally am taking notes and uh, uh, very, very great insights from two well-respected uh, VCs and early investors. And uh, thank you to the both of you for joining us. Nah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, so far today we've had, I, you know, if you've been listening on this conference, we've had some amazing speakers. I know we had like Solana, we had Casper, and now we have Mark and Brian, super excited. So if you can quick give a quick introduction, I know the two of you probably need no introduction, but uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and just, uh, you know, frame it out for everyone here. Mark, go ahead. All right. So reverse alphabetical. Usually I'm last way up in the <laughs> upper right with the Yusko last name. So uh, Mark Yusko, I am the founder, CEO, and CIO of Morgan Creek Capital Management and the managing partner of Morgan Creek Digital. So we formed Morgan Creek Digital four years ago to focus on investing in infrastructure around the digital economy. Uh, we're raising our third venture capital fund today. Uh, had some nice success in our first two funds. Uh, those funds invest 70% in the equity of underlying businesses and 30% in liquid protocols. We also run a risk managed Bitcoin uh, fund. This is not an advertisement for it, but the embrace volatility. Volatility scares everybody. I love volatility. I think you want to own volatile assets, but you can use tools to manage that volatility. And then we partner with Bitwise on something called the Digital Asset Index Fund. So I've uh, been spending most of my time these days around digital assets after spending most of my career uh, in everything except digital assets. And I'm Brian Nustis. I'm the CEO and CIO at Off The Chain Capital. Um, we're one of the only value funds in the blockchain space. Uh, basically, what we do is we provide a liquidity pool for early employees and seed investors at blockchain companies to sell equity into. Um, that's about half of the portfolio. The other half of the portfolio, we're looking for mispriced digital assets. Um, so, it, you know, we're one of the largest buyers in the world of Mt. Gox bankruptcy claims, which allows us to get into Bitcoin at significantly discounted prices. Um, like Mark, I come from traditional finance. I was in the traditional world for 20 years uh, before um, I started helping to build blockchain companies back in 2014. Um, so I was, you know, early and, you know, blessed to, you know, understand this, you know, before a lot of people did. Awesome. Well, Mark, Brian, we just love the way that you think in your framework. So really, uh, this panel is about just the two of you in this uh, discussion of uh, your mindset, well, you know, what you're excited about, um, just everything that's going on in the industry and what you're working on. Yeah, I mean, I'll just lead off with just one quick kind of framework and, and then throw it over to Brian to talk specifically about a lot of the things that, that they're working on that are really exciting in the sense that, you know, if you think about the financial services industry or ecosystem, it's the largest economy in the world or largest industry in the world. Uh, it crosses all economies globally. It is orders of magnitude larger than other industries. And it's basically been slightly impacted by the internet and the mobile net, but it's about to be completely disrupted. And you guys have been talking about it all day by blockchain technology and the evolution of, of solutions around financial services. 
and as we go from TradFi, traditional finance, to CFI, centralized finance, to DeFi ultimately, and then to other things like play to earn and metaverse and all of those other uh, applications of blockchain technology, it is the greatest wealth creation opportunity I'm going to see in my lifetime. It's the biggest disruption by orders of magnitude that I'm going to see. I mean, people think about markets in a weird way, right? They, they talk about stocks, GameStop and, and uh, IBM or whatever. Stocks are a tiny little market. Bond markets, way bigger. Orders of magnitude bigger. Currency market, orders of magnitude bigger. Derivatives market, orders of magnitude bigger. Why is all of that still run by humans and machines that still run on COBOL? Visa today, imagine this, Visa, right? We all use it still runs on a mainframe computer running on COBOL. I, I met with the guys from Visa the other day. They joked, you know, when the computer breaks, we put on a red light at the Sunnyvale retirement system and a bunch of 80-year-olds come over and fix our machine. That is not long for this world. So this emergence of technology that, that we're seeing and the migration of talent, and, and this conference is an example of that, the migration of talent into the space like nothing I've ever seen. Right? In the 90s, there was a migration into the internet that was amazing. And companies like eBay and Yahoo and Google made us and our investors lots and lots and lots of money. This is, again, orders of magnitude bigger than that. And the quality and quantity of people migrating into this space is incredible. And I just, I, I get more excited every time I talk about it. Yeah, Mark's 100% right. So what got me excited about blockchain technology was back in the early 80s. I was one of those computer whiz kids that used to code in Fortran, COBOL, Pascal. And, you know, I, I, I probably should have majored in computer science in college, but I ended up getting an economics and finance degree. Um, but when I first read the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, I understood as clear as day how we're going to rebuild our entire financial system exactly because what Mark just pointed out that our legacy financial system is built on ancient computer language. And that was piecemealed together over the past 60 years. And blockchain technology completely disrupts that. And um, one of the things that you, you know, we should all look at is what's called S-curve analysis. I've been using this throughout my entire career over the past 30 years to identify what are called megatrends so you could use S-curve analysis to identify these new technologies, these disruptive technologies. And you could use this going back to the 1400s when shipping companies were the new technology um, back then. And then railroads in the 1800s, automobiles in the 1940s, you know, fax machines in the 70s. And it's all the same S-curve. And basically what that S-curve says is that the amount of time it takes for a new technology to go from 0% adoption to 10% adoption is the same amount of time it takes that new technology to go from 10% to 90%. And so Bitcoin was invented in 2009, you know, the first blockchain. In 2019, 10% of US households owned Bitcoin. So it took 10 years to go from 0% adoption to 10% 10, 10 adoption. In 2021, or excuse me, 2020, Brian Brooks, the comptroller of the US currency, was being interviewed on CNN. And he mentioned that 15% of US households owned Bitcoin last year. 
And there was a study that came out in uh, February of this year. It was with 30,000 know, surveyed um, individuals in the US. And that survey showed that 25% of US households own Bitcoin in 2021. And then BACT just came out with a survey about three weeks ago. BACT is owned by the Intercontinental Exchange, which owns the New York Stock Exchange. And their survey showed that 48% of their 2,000 people surveyed own Bitcoin. And so we're on this massive adoption wave. And what this shows is that in year 2029, 90% of US households will have some sort of exposure to digital currency. And we don't know if it's just Bitcoin only or DeFi projects, but you would think it's gonna be a combination of a bunch of things. And so as Mark, Mark mentioned that, you know, the best way to accumulate wealth is to identify these megatrends. And we're in the megatrend now, we're, we're in the fast adoption phase. So there's gonna be a lot of wealth created over the next you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, and just, just to that point, if, if, if the people on the, the call here have not read the book, The Great Boom Ahead by Harry Dent, pick it up, read it, it's an easy weekend read, and it explains how S-curves work. Uh, I read it early in my, my career and it, it changed me forever. And, and like Brian, I, I, I can't live without this construct of S-curves because everything follows it, right? You get the innovators and they're laughed at, they're ridiculed. Then you get the early adopters and then there's the chasm. And the chasm is the hard part, right? That's the trough of disillusionment. And that's when everybody thinks it's the bust. And you know, that's 2000, pets.com, right? The epitome of the failure of the internet. Chewy.com is a $30 billion company. It's the same damn company, exactly the same. It's just we needed broadband and we needed distribution networks and we needed Jeff Be Bezos to come along and be successful at moving product off of online retail or uh, off of um, uh, in-person retail to online. And we're still early in that trend. So uh, all of these things, it's like my pin tweet on Twitter, right? At Mark Yusko, if people care, uh, the greatest wealth is created by investing in something that you believe in before others even understand. You'll be mocked ridiculed and criticized for your non-consensus action. It's totally worth it. And look, we just went on Friday, we went from the first they ignore you, 2009 to 2015. Then they laugh at you, 2015 to 21. Then they fight you. So the fight just started. China just laid down the law on Friday, made all cryptocurrency transactions illegal. Now they banned Bitcoin in 2013, lip service. They banned it again in 2017, a little bit of more lip service, more than lip service. This time they're actually serious and they're serious because their banking system is bust. If any more money flows out of the banking system, they end up in the great depression part two. So they can't allow that to happen. So there's a fight and that fight is important. And we all have to fight uh, for the next four or five years. But on the other side of this trough, is nirvana. It is all of the applications that we built on these base layer protocols that we're all installing. And it, it's so big, it's hard to even comprehend, one, how important it is, two, how strategic it is, and three, that it's zero probability that it's not going to happen, right? Name a new technology that came along 
that was put back in the bottle. I'll wait. Can't do it. Yeah, just to add on to that, let, let's just look at like long distance. You know, 10 years ago, we paid long distance phone bills. You know, you know, you, you know when's the last time you paid a long distance phone bill? And you may you know, ask the question, well, why don't we pay long distance anymore? And the reason is because there was a piece of software invented called Voice Over Internet Protocol, VOIP, that allowed the transmission of voice through the internet. And when that piece of software was invented, it basically caused the long distance companies' business models to go to zero. So, you know, MCI and WorldCom went bankrupt. And people say it was because of accounting fraud. Well, the accounting fraud doesn't, didn't cause the bankruptcy. What caused the bankruptcy is that their business model went to zero because people can make free long distance phone calls. And if you look at how the world moves its money today, we spend $2 trillion a year in costs to move our money. These are Visa card, Visa MasterCard, bank wire fees, PayPal fees. And you know, if you add all that up, you know, it's, you know, it's over the world, you know, it's $2 trillion. And you have to think that now that we have money over internet protocol, those that $2 trillion is probably gonna go down 90 to 95%, if not down to zero um, over the yeah, next 20 I, years. I don't wanna keep piling on each other, but you know, it, 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 Brian's again, 110% right, because voice over internet protocol changed the world and the internet changed the world and the internet was, was a big deal, right? Paul Krugman said it would never be bigger than the fax machine, it's a little bigger than the fax machine. And it all started from a single web page, right? Tim Berners-Lee, not a rich guy. He invented the internet, not Al Gore. Tim Berners-Lee invented the internet. And he took this thing that we're using right now called TCP IP, base layer protocol of the internet. And he wrote a web page, a single web page, 9,500 lines of code, uh, and invented www. Okay, the rest is history. So now what the cool part is, he just turned that 9,500 lines of code into an NFT and Sotheby is going to auction it. So he is going to become a richer guy. So that's pretty cool. I really want to buy it, but I don't have enough to buy it. So um, somebody with a lot of ETH is probably going to buy it, like the guy that bought the Beeple, which I don't really get that one. Although I, I will say one thing about the Beeple. I don't really like the art, no, no accounting for taste. I do respect the fact that I'm certain that I have not brushed my teeth every day for the last 13 years. I went on a couple camping trips, forgot my toothbrush. That dude made a piece of art every day for 13 years. That's, that's, that's valuable. That, that's pretty cool. Um, but the point here is that value over internet protocol is the biggest innovation of this century. There's nothing close. And if you haven't read the Chris Dixon thread on tokens and why tokens matter and why everything in the world, every stock, every bond, every currency, every commodity, every piece of real estate, every home, every business, every piece of art, every every case of wine, every everything will be tokenized. And why tokens like websites, websites are the ability to make information flow freely two directions. We went from one in 1994 to 1.7 billion today. And Google owns half of them, which is kind of crazy. Because um, every time you type something into Google, they create a new website so you can find it fast. Genius. That's what indexation is. But tokens, there will be more than 1.7 billion. Orders of magnitude more than 1.7 billion. Everything will be tokenized. 
and it will allow value to be exchanged two directional. And again, the benefit of building on top of previous technology, there were no computers in the 1940s, except in governments. 1954, the mainframe came along. The center of the universe was in uh, Boston on Route 128, DEC, Wang, and IBM. And then 14 years later, there's an innovation out in Silicon Valley. Nexus, the universe shifted to Palo Alto. Don Valentine invested in this little company called Intel. The rest is history. Suddenly we had small computers, small businesses. The chairman of DEC famously said, I can envision a day where someday a computer would only weigh one and a half tons, but there'd be no reason for anyone to ever have a computer in their house. In 1977, he said that. So in 1982, right, personal computer was invented. A little company called Microsoft. All my friends from childhood don't work. They, I grew up in Seattle. They went to work. I was too stupid. If you ever seen the picture of the original Microsoft 11, you forgive me. We all looked a little rough in the 70s. They looked rougher than most. They're billionaires. I'm not. So that's okay. They're successful. But I didn't go to work for Microsoft. Uh, Steve Ballmer's mom said, honey, why would you work for that company? No one want a computer in their house. He has 18 billion reasons he was right. Mom was wrong. 14 years later. Why it's always 14 years, I don't know. It's because young people create everything new in this world. And it's about half generation, the creative class. So 14 years later, 1996, I'm sitting in South Bend. We invest in this little company called Sequoia. They invest in this little company called Google. Half a million dollars turns into 200 million. There should be a quad at Notre Dame called the Google Quad. And that was great, but that was crappy technology. Client server technology was crappy. Then in 2010, we had this innovation called the mobile net. And this thing came out. Stock price of Apple went down 40% when they released this. Went down 40% because people didn't get that, why do I need that? I got my flip phone. It works just fine. I don't need a smartphone. Ugh, ridiculous. Fad. No, it's not a fad. This is the mobile net and everybody is connected. And I remember asking the Craig McCaw's family office guy, do you think the mobile net will be as big as the internet? It's like, Mark, are you kidding me? Ask me if they want a computer. Like, yeah, whatever. Ask them if they want a phone. They say, well, I already have two. I don't need another one. Yeah, mobile net will be bigger. And the trust net, which is 2024, still two years from now, okay, two, three years from now, is bigger than that because we're building on better technology and we take advantage of exponential math. See, people are bad at math. If I say what's two times two, everyone on this call says four. If I say what's 17 times 23, I'll wait. That is the limit of human intelligence. The average person cannot do that in their head. They need a calculator. So if I say, how are you at nonlinear regression? Probably not very good. If I take 20 linear steps across the office, I get to the other side. If I take 20 exponential steps, I go around the world twice. Exponential growth, growth of networks, growth of the ecosystem that we're all working in grows exponentially, not linearly. And it's why voice, I'm sorry, value over IP is the greatest invention of all time. But I don't feel strongly about it. <laughs> yeah, and Mark and I come from the asset management side. So it's important to recognize how to make money in blockchain too. So when the web started, you know, we couldn't own stock in like HTTP or SMTP. You couldn't own the protocols. The only protocol you could really own were domain names. And, you know, so domain names you could buy and, and hold on to those. And those are created, you know, accrued in value. But most of the value accrued to the companies that sat on top of the protocols so that's like Amazon, Netflix, you know, Google, eBay, uh, Uber. You know, these are internet companies that sat on top of the protocol layer. When you look at blockchain and blockchain companies, it's completely flipped upside down. 
if you add up all the value of the protocols, so these are like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, Solana, Cardano, you add all those up, you come up with close to $2 trillion worth of value. But if you add up all the value of the companies that sit on top of those protocols, like Coinbase, Kraken, Digital Currency Group, BlockFi, you come up with about $200 billion. So most of the value is accruing in the protocol layer. It's not accruing into the company layer. And that's an important fact to, you know, to understand when you're comparing how do I invest in blockchain versus you know, how do we create wealth in the internet? Ryan and Mark, what are some tangible next steps that the community can take now to learn about uh, these new technologies and like what specifically should we be paying attention to and following? Well, first is to, to attend events like this and, and let you guys curate the best and, and the brightest, maybe present company excluded, uh, all the, the crypto kids you've had on earlier that are doing amazing things. I mean, look, I, I love my job, right? I get paid to talk to the smartest people in the world all day, every day. It's awesome. And um, I've never had more fun in, in my 35 years of doing this. And that's not because I didn't like my job for the thir first 30 plus years. I loved it. But this is more fun because we're dealing with a pace of innovation that just we've never seen before and a, and a scale of innovation and an impact of innovation that is, is really incomprehensible. I mean, some of the numbers that Brian was throwing around. And so the next steps are one, um, get educated, right? spend time, go to lop.net and devour everything on his site. Read the white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto, read other white papers. Uh, go and listen to podcasts. There are a gazillion great podcasts uh, on the space uh, and just devour, devour, devour. And, and also just do it, right? I mean, that, that phrase exists for a reason. Action beats inaction. Most people are less well off because they fail to act. And particularly when they're young, you're afraid, oh, I don't want to rip. You should make all of your mistakes when you're young. When they're not costly. You should make all of your portfolio investments long as long a term as possible. It should actually be against the law to buy bonds in your 20s and 30s and 40s. It should just be against the law, right? That's, that's the worst investment you could ever make because inflation is going to chew up all your gain. It should be mandated that you put all your money in venture capital and long-term projects because that's where the wealth is created. And so if you think about being a young person today, what you want to do is leave the stayed boring job and go find a startup entrepreneur, go find a project that you're passionate about. And even if you want to keep your, your day job, start investing, you know, get a couple wallets, start to buy some protocols, start to play, you know, have an Ave account, right? I did it just, just to see how it works, right? Before I wanted to invest lots of money in DeFi, I actually, you know, took out a loan on Ave. I actually pledged some collateral. I actually staked some coins in a yield farm. And all of these things get you more comfortable with the innovation because look, not all of us can be great at everything. I'm not a techie by nature. I'm, I'm an investment guy. I get to partner with great techies, but I'm, I couldn't tell you how TCPIP works. I couldn't actually tell you how you know, all the details of, of this blockchain or that blockchain work, but I know people who do and uh, want to partner with them. So uh, just do it would be my, my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I, I agree. Just do it and also be curious. You know, you know that, that's what got me involved is I just found it interesting. I was curious and coming from traditional finance, when I first learned about Bitcoin, I thought it was a total scam. 
you know, this is 2014, you know, all I could hear was, you know, it's this internet funny money, it's used, used for nefarious activities, you know, who wants to be involved with that? But, you know, I, you know, actually took the time to dive into it and figure it out. And it took me about six months because, you know, you, you can't take a Bitcoin class back in 2014. But, you know, you, you have to, you know, a lot of the work just comes from being self-educated, going out and being an independent thinker and going, you know, and finding, you know, you know, things that you're interested in and diving into them and trying things out. Yeah, and, and to that point, do the work, right? You know, just do it is one thing, but do the work. And look, I've never met anybody who I respect who didn't start skeptical. And that's totally logical. Why? Well, because of FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Any innovation will be met with FUD spread by the incumbents, right? When the horseless carriage came out at the turn of the century, the street sweepers passed out pamphlets saying that you would die if you got in a horseless carriage. Why? because they didn't want you to get in that because they'd lose their jobs of you know, sweeping up the horse poop. So when the airplane came out, my grandfather-in-law left a stable job at the train company to go work at American Airlines. His parents were horrified, horrified. And the trains passed out pamphlets saying, if you got on an airplane, you would die because your body would cave in on itself from going too fast. FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Incumbents want to stay in charge. They don't like being disrupted. So it's logical that you should fear the FUD. Like I was handed Bitcoin on a silver platter, the same, almost the same day as the Winklevi. They're multi-gazillionaires and I'm not. Why? Because I was too stupid. I was too skeptical and I wouldn't do the work because my clients were like, don't talk about that crazy stuff. Don't talk about magic internet money. Go back and do your job. I wrote one paragraph in the first quarter of 2014 uh, so I got introduced to it in 2013 and I started talking about it and wrote one paragraph in a 40 page letter. My client said, we'll fire you. Now the next paragraph was about Saudi equities, which by all measures, probably more controversial than Bitcoin at this point. Talk about terrorist activity, bad. No one complained about that. They just said, don't do Bitcoin. That was when the price was 500 bucks. And so it took me a while to do the work because I was incentivized not to do the work. When your job, when your livelihood depends on you not understanding something, you will not understand it. And the last thing I'll, I'll encourage everybody is consider the source. When Jamie Dimon says it's a fraud, don't listen to him because Jamie Dimon is the bank. He's the one being disrupted. When Warren Buffett calls it rat poison squared, don't listen to him because 46% of what he owns is banks. When his partner, Charlie Munger one-ups him and calls it, buying Bitcoin is like trading newly harvested, newly harvested dead baby brains. What the fuck, Charlie? Seriously? <laughs> and who do you trust? Charlie Noyes or Charlie Munger? Charlie Munger has spent 10 freaking minutes on Bitcoin. Charlie Noyes has spent 10,000 hours. He was, that's not possible. He's only 21 years old. That's impossible. Well, let's talk about Charlie. Started coding at nine, okay? He built his first computer at 11. He won a white paper competition in 2000 when he was 14, beating out all the people from MIT on distributed ledger technology. He got a full ride to MIT at 16, went to his dean after one semester and said, can I take a test? This is too easy. And the dean's like, no, you can't take a test. So he quit and he goes to work at Pantera. And now he's at Paradigm and he spent way more than 10,000 hours. 
that Charlie is way more important than Charlie freaking Munger. And that's not to criticize Charlie Munger. Again, he's richer than me, but they missed it and they're gonna miss it because they're the incumbents. And the incumbents will always spread FUD. So always consider the source of what you're hearing and then do the work like Brian said. Yeah, and it's not the first time Warren Buffett's missed something either. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, that, and I, I love Warren Buffett. I, I, you know, we're a value investor. So we use a lot of Warren Buffett type styles to you know, find value. But you know, they do miss things. You know, back in 1990, um, if you look at the Berkshire Hathaway annual report in 1990, their top holdings were companies like Encyclopedia Britannica and ABC, you know, um, you know, um, you know, ABC, you know, Cap City, ABC, and then the Washington Post and newspaper companies, those constituted about 40% of the portfolio, right when the internet was getting started. And, you know, you know, three years later, the Encyclopedia Britannica, and five years later, the newspaper companies were worth 90% less, because you didn't need those anymore. So, you know, like, like Mark said, you know, more, you know, if you look at Berkshire Hathaway today, it's heavily weighted in the banks, which are going to be disrupted by DeFi and blockchain technology. And so they own so many of those that they can't sell them. You know, if they start liquidating their bank portfolio, then, you know, everyone's going to front run them. And I find it very, very interesting, though, the one bank they do keep adding to is Bank of America. And if you look at Bank of America's patent portfolio, they're one of the largest patents, uh, patent, you know, they have one of the largest patent portfolios of blockchain technology yeah. in the world. And yep. so I think that's, you know, how Warren Buffett won't buy gold, but he'll buy a gold miner. I think, you know, he won't buy Bitcoin, but he's loading up on Bank of America stock because they have a huge portfolio of blockchain technology patents. Ryan and Mark, you two are fan favorites. I've seen the comments, but truly the community just couldn't be more grateful for having you two on. And uh, yeah, really no, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having us. It's yeah, uh, great to be with you guys. I, I, am, I am super grateful for, for you guys and, and your efforts to bring the community together, to reach out to us old guys, to, to let us be part of the, the emerging talent and uh, uh, really appreciate the time today. Yeah, I, I appreciate it too. You guys are doing great work. Keep it up.